0: focused on helping organizations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 86 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. Today we have Professor William Hillel on the show with us. William is a professor emeritus of management, technology, and innovation at George Washington University. He has worked with many of our largest organizations globally in the fields of technology and consciousness. Professor Halel has just released his new book, Beyond Knowledge, How Technology is Driving an Age of Consciousness. I'm looking forward to exploring this highly relevant topic. Let's get into the episode. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Great to be here with you, Brad.
0: Uh, William, well, what, what's your backstory? Like I've I've done a bit of research there, and I I know there's a really amazing backstory, but do you mind giving us a bit of a
1: History. I'd love to. I've, I, I'm very proud of my early years. I, uh, I was an aerospace engineer on the Apollo program. Wow. Great project. It was great fun. Uh, I was a major in the Air Force, and I worked in Silicon Valley. And then I, I went to graduate school at Berkeley. And while I was there, the uh, free speech movement started up. Oh, wow. And I, I quickly saw that this was the result of the beginnings of the computer revolution. I was very impressed by Daniel Bell's book, The Coming of Post-Industrial Society, and it just caught my attention. I thought, boy, if we're leaving industrial society, what are we heading towards? And that just so fascinated me that I've been studying that ever since. I do other things, of course, but that's really been my my love. And this book, uh, Beyond Knowledge, is the magnus opus of that line of, of work.
0: Well, we've been seeing your history. You worked on some of the most insane technology there's been from what was achieved with that Apollo work and that side yeah. of things. And then into, yeah. I guess, the stirrings of age of consciousness through, you know, the, the 70s and everything in that time.
1: Yeah, yeah that um, was the beginning of it. That's, that's true. That's
0: right. That's well, a real blend. And when with it, the, the, what is the central focus of the book? Like I've I've had a read through the uh the information and it's a sure. real blend of here looking at, okay, technology and, and, and consciousness, but can you explain that for us, please?
1: Sure. Uh, the, base, the book is basically a study of social evolution. That's the main thing I've done here. Uh, I've taken a, a really hard look at the, uh, the rise of civilization over uh, millennia. So I plotted the entire rise of civilization using real scales, real data, it, and all you can see this if you go to uh, a little post of the book at beyondknowledge.org, beyondknowledge.org. So this is a real breakthrough, I think. It helps us understand uh, how civilization has evolved. And what we see is that it's, it's a life cycle. It started out very slowly, just like all life cycles do. And it's, it's been rising dramatically just in our lifetime, just the last two, three hundred years. It's really amazing, just absolutely amazing. And um, all life cycles end, and uh, we progressed through the agricultural stage, industrial stage, services economy, and the knowledge age, last two decades. Now we're entering, we're going beyond knowledge. And beyond knowledge, by definition, is consciousness. Values, beliefs, emotions, all of that higher order thought, the things that computers are not really good at. Computers are good at the objective knowledge, uh, knowledge of facts, Uh, data, all of that, but they're not good at the subjective stuff, consciousness. And the automation of uh, knowledge by artificial intelligence is driving attention up into the subjective realm. That's what's happening now. That's what social media has done. Social media has forced people to uh, move beyond the level of knowledge, the thing that we've been thinking about for two decades now, and into this realm of subjective awareness. That's why you see all this controversy and emotion and arguments and things on social media. So we're there now. We're we're in an age of consciousness now, but it's it's not a very good form of consciousness. You normally think of consciousness as enlightenment. Well, this is not enlightenment yet. It's a a very crude form of consciousness. It's similar to what happened when the uh, Gutenberg printing press uh, introduced publishing four centuries ago. That was followed by decades of fierce wars throughout Europe, and it led to the Protestant Reformation. So, a a big burst of knowledge like this is is hard to handle. Uh, We've got to come to grips with it. Uh, We we have to master this this new consciousness uh, and turn it to, uh, to solving the crises of our time. That's what consciousness is about. Yeah. It's being responsible for uh, where you're heading in the life cycle of evolution. And the crises, of course, are climate change, the pandemics, uh, inequality, things like that. Those are enormous problems. And they, they, uh, they, they are formed the challenge that this new level of consciousness is, has to address. Or, or we're, we're not going to survive as a civilization. I think it's that, that tough. It's a crisis of maturity, crisis of global maturity is what I call it.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how you describe that. Like I, I'm a real history buff and, you know, I read books on that era when the printing press came out and the impacts of that. And it's amazing that you've studied the whole history there and you've seen that life cycle play out, I guess, multiple times as we've made big technological leaps. So right now it's, we've got this leap of <clears throat> knowledge coming in awareness with social media and the absolute abundance of information, I guess. And William, i would really keen to ask you something that's pertinent right now. Like right now with social media and what's happening in the Ukraine, I just see this actual, I see it as a benefit in a way that you can just see what's going on. There's no curtain there. Like you, you see what's happening. And I'm guessing that even the, the Russian people see what's happening to some degree. That's or. exactly right.
1: You know, that's what I think Putin underestimated. He didn't realize the world had changed. It's not uh, the old world of 20 or 30 years ago. The digital revolution has united the world really with social media. In fact, The Guardian uh, newspaper called this the first, the world's first TikTok war. what's a nice phrase. I think that's exactly right. Uh, that's why the, the entire world is aware, as you point out, Brad, and they don't like it they see that it's 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 it makes no sense it's it's just brutality for the sake of brutality the russian people don't like it the russian people are equally aware of what's going on and they don't want to see their sons killed needlessly they they and they don't dislike the ukrainians at all they think ukrainians are neighbors and friends they have relatives living in ukraine so the whole thing was uh, just a terrible mistake, I think, on Putin's part. I don't think, you know, uh, some people think he's, he's brilliant. In a way he is, but I think he missed, uh, he missed the, the whole point here. This was a really stupid uh, mistake on his part. He's going to pay very dearly for it. The resistance is global. It's unrelenting, and it's going to really it's going to hurt the Russian people very much. Yeah. Um, until something happens, he, he, he may, Putin may destroy himself. He may suffer a coup d'etat from his generals when this gets really bad or he may, uh, his fellow politicians may ease him out or there could be a popular uprising against the whole system. Anything could happen.
0: No, And it's it's such a pertinent situation happening right now with the book that you've written. And yeah, thank you for that. I think all our listeners, our minds will be really delving into this and there's a lot of connections we'll be making but do you mind delving a bit more into how technology is actually driving consciousness?
1: Well, let me go back to uh, a point I made earlier. I think it's important to understand there are two different types of consciousness. And this is well known in the scientific world. Uh, Rene Descartes really uh, first uh, made this clear. We talked about dualism. There's the, 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 um, the mind uh, the body, all of that stuff, that's objective. Uh, that's things that you can measure. You, knowledge, you, you can measure knowledge, you can store knowledge in computers, information, data, um, just make decisions, all of that. That's objective. But beyond that is a, a, a huge realm of higher consciousness that is subjective. There is no right or wrong. There, You can't measure it. It's experience, it's what people experience, it's emotions, uh, it's, it's belief systems, it's values, it's vision, it's all the things that are happening right now around the Ukrainian crisis. And that realm is more powerful. The subjective uh, uh, forms of consciousness dominate the objective forms. People usually choose their beliefs in whatever way they, they come about them. And then the, they, they select data and information to uh, back up their prior beliefs. Of course, some, some people uh, modify their beliefs based upon knowledge, but that's, that's something else. But generally speaking, uh, subjective consciousness, values and beliefs and emotions, dominate the objective realm. That's why in the United States we have what we call the post-factual phenomena, all of these crazy ideas that are circulating that have no basis in fact, they're just completely nonsense. Like the the belief that Trump won the election or the, the, uh, the fear of vaccination. Yes.
0: I mean, it's crazy stuff. Oh, when there's so many examples, as you were saying that I was like, how many examples have there been in just the last two years of people being driven emotionally or through that unconscious or subconscious and then they, we look into the conscious realm to find data to fact. And of course you can find data to back anything up. So that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and the, the left wing is equally guilty that the way they cancel people who uh, deviate from very precisely described forms of behavior, people who are not woke, whatever that means. Uh, I, I still don't understand what it means, but the left is doing the same thing. And so it's not the fault of individuals. It's just a phenomenon caused by the digital revolution. Uh, As as artificial intelligence automates knowledge, we are being forced beyond knowledge. That's why the book is titled that, Beyond Knowledge. We are living beyond knowledge now. The world is in fact living beyond knowledge in the sense that major decisions are made not on the basis of fact, but on beliefs and
0: values and emotions.
1: And that's why it's such a struggle. Yeah. that's why we see political gridlock everywhere
0: and so william really from early on in the conversation you know you were mentioning that there's potentially a journey we're going to go through to really hopefully bring this to the highest level of uh amazing outcomes like what happened with the printing press but there was an era where things were traumatic um on that how does you know this consciousness that we're at now heading into enable us to solve today's crisis is like, how does it? How do we get to that place where we're using it in a, a very positive way to help on climate change, to help on economic challenges, social situations?
1: That's a really good question. It, it goes to the heart of the book and it's a tough question. There's no good answer to it. The, the simple answer <clears throat> is that more facts are not going to do it. Uh, we have all the knowledge we need. So trying out more facts is not going to do it. We have to change consciousness. We have to change the way people think. And that's tough. That's really hard. Uh, I think it's happening. Uh, and, and I, I like the, the response to the Ukrainian crisis, for instance. I also am very impressed by the changes in the corporate world. Uh, you and I were talking about that before the show. The uh, decision made by the business roundtable in the United States two years ago was revolutionary. It gave up on the principle that profit should be the dominant goal of the corporation. And it accepted, excuse me, the legitimacy of the goals of all other stakeholders, employees, customers, uh, suppliers, distributors, the public, everybody who uh, is part of the firm, really, but is not usually recognized as such. So and this is a, a revolutionary change. Um, And the reason they've done it is I think business people are, they're pragmatic, if nothing else. And they see that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The climate change, uh, pandemics, uh, the inequality problem, uh, financial instability, terrorism, all that stuff. And they also see that government can't do it alone. So they, they, it's just made, made manifestly clear to them that they've got to step up to the plate and take on bigger responsibilities if we're going to survive as a civilization. And I don't think this is uh, uh, a compromise on the the virtues of free markets and capitalism. It simply expands the, the, um, the range of interests that corporations serve to include the other parties that are essential to success. Now, that's the way to see it. That employees and customers, and the public and all of those other constituents are resources that the corporation needs to perform well. So the uh, I've studied this extensively uh, as, as a socioeconomic economic system, and it's it's uh, it's a new reality that we should we should understand. It's, it requires a change in economic consciousness. You have to see business as more than just money. You have to see it in a social context as well. And if you see that and you see the role of employees, the customers, and so forth, the obvious thing is to unify all of those parties to any enterprise into a more productive whole by working with them as partners to solve strategic problems because only employees know what's going on at the grassroots Only customers know what they really want and need and the problems they're facing and so forth. So by working with stakeholders, the corporation can uh, create more value for everybody. That's that's the theory, that's the principle. Uh, I don't think business people understand that fully yet. They know they, they should be doing it and they are. They're moving in that direction. They're calling it ESG, Environment, Social and Governance. So they're moving around, and they also call it conscious capitalism and stakeholder capitalism. But I don't think those terms really uh, get to it very well. I like to think of it as collaborative enterprise. Uh, The corporation is a collaboration among its various stakeholders, Uh, and that's partnerships, and that creates value. And it it also reduces risk because the the parties that are usually causing trouble, Customers and, and uh, workers are part of the process. So you could resolve the, the differences and turn them into advantages. So it would make uh, business less risky, I think. And it would uh, uh, do something about the enormous inequalities that modern societies are struggling with. They're just unprecedented levels of inequality. Uh, they go The levels of inequality harken back to the The gilded age of the 1920s, it's that extreme. And it's not good for anybody. uh, It's a damper on economic growth because people don't have the money to to purchase, so you have less demand. So I I think there's an enormous opportunity for business to uh, change dramatically, to become an institution that solves social problems as well as making money. In fact, I think they could make more money with less risk doing it this way. There's yeah. more we can say about this. It's a huge topic,
0: and it's such a key one for this show too, William. And everything that we're about, you know, it's that create a better future, you know, for social people, profit, and the planet. You know, that more holistic yeah. approach. But I've seen an evolution too, and it's it's so key to what I'm involved in. You know, it's like business was. This authoritarian, where you get promoted up into leadership, and then eventually leaders end up looking at the frontline employees as if they're idiots or something, or they don't have a brain, or I don't know what happens. It's like I'm the expert, I become the leader, and it becomes this very top down culture, which goes yeah. back to like I don't know, British or something back to the, no, back that's to right. the history. But then
1: it's principles we, of bureaucracy, yeah.
0: yeah. And we know through agile, or even the new approaches with lean, all these systems that companies are using to break that. To, and, the term I hear is bottom-up improvement, customer-aligned yeah. bottom-up improvement. Yeah. Boy, companies are achieving insane things, but it's that shift. It's people being able to make that shift consciously, like you said, but then also system-wise to create that in, in the company. And that's such a pertinent topic you just covered. And you know, shifting from this top-down authoritarian culture that we've been so used to for so long, where there's that disconnect from leadership to the frontline employees and customers, to getting that in, you know, really focused customer alignment and bottom-up improvement. Yeah, just it's it's so pertinent to this episode and what we're about.
1: It is, and it's one of the most important things that's happening today. I think because I think business people could lead us out of this crisis of global maturity that I call it. Business is the most powerful institution in the world. And uh, they are pragmatic. They know how to get things done. And the fact that they, are, uh, that they see the challenge and are moving in the right direction is very encouraging. Uh, if business people can understand the full significance of what I've been describing here, I'm not sure they do yet. I'm not sure they, they fully appreciate the fact that this could be a competitive advantage. You know, it's, it's not a compromise. It's not the old social responsibility where you're doing good in a philanthropic sense. This this would be a competitive advantage yeah. as well as ser- serving society's needs better. And business people could become the heroes of society instead of, uh, you know, they're often disgraced. Most of the people I know hate business. They, they have a horrible uh, uh, impression of business people and corporations. They, 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 over decades of behavior, they've seen such horrible things happen that they, they are convinced that corporations are, are greedy and will only do things that make them money. It's a terrible reputation, just terrible. Yeah,
0: and in the last, the last five to 10 years, there's been an amazing shift. Like You and I were chatting before the show about, you know, for me, five, 10 years ago, environmental was not even up in the top two with most companies I spoke yeah. to. Yeah. Now the majority of them, it's number one or two, but the, there is a clear win-win and boy, the ones that really now this more holistic approach, like you said, to create that greater consciousness and the organization and that greater engagement and alignment and the energy they get out of it, but also the competitiveness they get, it, it'll, it'll eat others up. Like they'll end up really being, it's a win-win, isn't it?
1: It is. If, if they can, uh, uh, carry it to the, uh, the level that's needed. Right now, they're still dabbling with it, I think. But I think it's changing dramatically. Uh, I was heartened by the fact that uh, the um, Fortune magazine accepted an article of mine that is a full-throated call to transform capitalism into what I call collaborative or democratic enterprise. I mean, I don't mince any words here. And they accepted it. Now, that tells me a lot. I don't think they would have accepted this piece 10 years ago. No. But the no. fact that they are going to publish this tells me that it's here. They know it's here and they're trying to get their readers to uh, think about it seriously.
0: Yeah. Well, i I've got a question that might be out of left field a bit here. The positive of where we're going is that we've got amazing access of knowledge. Our consciousness is evolving There's a dangerous time potentially to come because of basically you and I spoke about a number of the examples over the last two years, where we'll go to that subconscious level, choose a path, and then we can draw on whatever data we want to justify it. Right. But with, um, with, with the journey, what do you see that's needed for us to actually shift through it and truly get more holistically to that area where it's really achieving great outcomes?
1: Another great question. Boy, you're really on top of this, Brad. Um, um, Go back to my study of social evolution. <clears throat> Another thing I learned from the study of social evolution is that, <clears throat> excuse me, every stage in, uh, in the social development has been uh, driven by a revolution in thought. Uh, the Industrial Revolution is a great example. Uh, industrialization uh, took off because of what the great sociologist Max Weber called the Protestant ethic a very famous book, uh, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And he argued that the Protestant ethic is what drove capitalism, the belief that that to serve God, you should be diligent about your business, making money, save your money, uh, invest it, work hard, uh, all of that sort of thing. That was the economic man model. And that's what drove uh, industrialization for the last 100 years. Now, we need a different revolution thought now. Uh, That revolution thought worked uh, pretty well for about 100 or 200 years. But now the challenges are different. The challenge is to integrate, to work across groups, to work across corporations, work across nations, to really to integrate the world into a, a single governing system. That's, that's really uh, what it amounts to. That doesn't mean a world government. It doesn't mean stamping out diversity or bureaucracy and any of those things. It simply means that uh, the, it recognizes that the world is in fact a single system now. It's economically integrated and electronically it's integrated. So it's operating as a single system now, but we just lack the governance mechanisms to do it well. And that's why we have all of these problems. So what we need is a, a global consciousness, is what I call it. And other people have used the same term. Uh, a, uh, a set of uh, different uh, model, a different vision for where the world is heading that would be sustainable. The present uh, uh, global order is not sustainable. Uh, that, I think that's pretty obvious. You can stop ordinary people on the street and ask them this, and they'd say, no, I, I don't think we're gonna make it this way. So, and the pandemic has made that very clear because the pandemic, pandemics are global problems. They're not local problems and they can only be solved with a global solution. So the pandemic made it clear that we have to work together globally. And that's all that uh, global consciousness really means, I think, uh, basically that we recognize that the world is a, a single system and we work together to uh, to uh, make it a system that is sustainable. Now, that's tough. That's going to take a lot of work. Uh, but mainly it requires changing the way people think. That's what's tough. It's a change in consciousness. We need a revolution of thought, just like the revolution of thought of the Protestant ethic. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's likely to come... Um uh, we did a study at my company, uh, my company Techcast, pulls the knowledge of uh, hundreds of uh, thought leaders around the world to make most informed uh decisions on tough issues that are hard to handle any other way. And I we forecast all breakthroughs to emerging technologies, social trends, wild cards, things like that. But we focused on the uh what I call the mental spiritual revolution that we think is coming, the revolution to a global consciousness. And our estimate is that it's likely to happen about 2030, eight years from now, plus or minus about five years. I think that's a pretty good forecast. I think we're likely to see it happen by somewhere around the end of this decade. In fact, it could happen next few years.
0: I I love that word you described there. Well, in in a way, don't we know with the world wide web and with social media and the, the speed of communication, we've got the system. There's this global system now where we're all connected and
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And it's now the, like you said, the the way we think and the governance of it, to basically take us there. And you can see the fragments of it already, you know, with the United Nation and a lot of the things that were put in place after World War II. Well, the United
1: Nations has been a flop so far. Uh, it could be re- rejuvenated if we develop a global consciousness,
0: perhaps. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: but, uh, but, yeah, that, in fact, you know, the, the Ukrainian crisis could work out to usher in a global consciousness. If this works out the way I think it will, even if Russia uh, occupies U- Ukraine, uh, there's, there's going to, the, the Ukrainian people are fiercely resistant against this. And they're supported by the Russian people. The Russian people don't like this either. Yeah. Uh, so the pressure on Putin is enormous, enormous. The whole world is against him. He's a pariah. I don't see how that, that, that can continue. I think the pressure will increase to the point where the generals will stage a coup d'état against him. When it gets really bad, you know, when thousands of tens of thousands of Russian boys are brought back home dead, you know, and their economy is a shambles,
0: yeah.
1: And the, the, the Russians could stage a coup d'état, maybe a soft coup d'état. Uh, the politicians and his oligarch friends could ease him out somehow, or there could be a popular revolt against the whole system, and if. One of these things, I think, is likely to happen. I don't think this invasion of Ukraine is 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 going to withstand the yeah. the pressures. And in the next two or three years, when Putin goes down, that could change the whole attitude of the world. That could be a turning point that says that where everybody says we got to stop this fooling around, we got to stop this conflict. We've got to start working together.
0: Yeah, that could yeah. do it. Yeah, and it's a simple change of thought, isn't it? It's just a yeah. change of thought of, you know, I guess we've had that evolution through history, haven't we? Where originally you basically probably focused on your family like crazy, then you focused on maybe your tribe like crazy. Yes, then that's you, right. Then we've focused ah, on our town. region, town, region, and a country. city. City, yeah. yeah. And then up to now, where we're probably at the stage where there's this blend of country, verse. yeah, 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 country superpower versus global. But it's really, when you look at it just simply, we're, we're from the same make, aren't we? Like whether you're Chinese, Japanese, Russian, like why not be one thought process and one brotherhood of it all? Because we are, like seriously. Like,
1: I, I don't think we have a choice. Either do that or it's extinction for civilization, I think.
0: I don't right, see because, how you know. Especially with the challenges we're facing right now, isn't it? It's like we need that global consciousness now to deal with these issues that are coming at us. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, the Ukrainian uh, invasion could be a a great opportunity to transform world thinking, I think.
0: Yeah, William, one thing I do ask each guest is like a short two minute tip that you'd give to senior leaders or businesses out there right now on this topic we're talking. What would be that two minute tip that you would give them to help us progress forward
1: Well, I think business leaders have an enormous opportunity to to redefine the way their organizations work for their own benefit, not asking them to make sacrifices. They could become real leaders instead of people who hold power, servant leaders. They could define themselves as people who serve the needs of all their stakeholders, including their investors. That's a viable position. That's a position you can defend uh, honorably, morally. And if you did that, you would get, you would gain power. People would give you power because you then become legitimate. You could become a hero. And I think business people are the prime candidates to lead the world out of this mess that we're in. So I, I, I would suggest as business people should. Uh, Think carefully about how they can redefine their role to uh, serve themselves and their nations and the world a lot better.
0: William, you've just taken the whole concept of servant leadership to a whole new level for me.
1: Thank you, Brad.
0: (laughs) Thank you. That was an insight because I've always, you know, I'm building a course right now with um, uh, an agile organisation, Jeff Sutherland and his team who do um they're involved in agile which is yeah big story but you know servant leadership we're so focused on servant leadership serve your employees serve your team serve your customers yeah but it applies to society and planet just the same thing just oh, serve yeah. serve that yeah. and and yeah that is brilliant i, Thank I you.
1: was uh, i was close to the uh the former president of uh, general motors saturn division skip le yeah. he was he was a, a leader he was a progressive guy He uh, was the first major corporate executive, at least in the United States, to embrace the idea of uh, democratic enterprise. That's what I call it, democratic enterprise. And he was brilliant at it. That man was revered by the people that worked for him and the suppliers and and the union people and city officials. He was revered because he was a real leader. He was a real leader.
0: Yeah. It's amazing, the power and yeah, yeah. I, I study it. It's my passion is studying those spaces, and I've studied him and this, that side too. It's been awesome. William, you, you just gave me a massive insight, and I've had a fair few throughout this conversation. What's been a recent insight for you, about, mate? what's been a recent thing that you've gone well? Wow, okay, that's, that's new. Well, the,
1: the, uh, the, my understanding of the, uh, the possibilities for the Ukrainian war that, that I just uh, knocked off the, an op-ed piece this morning that uh, I hope my publicist can place in a major paper. It's called uh Ukraine is a great opportunity. And the subtitle is uh World Opinion Can Force Autocrats Down or Back or something. Yeah. It's a it's a nice piece. I I didn't I didn't see that. I I didn't think I could write that. As I thought about it late last night, I thought that's a nice idea, but what am I going to say? You know, what do I have? What what can I use to make the argument? And I, I did some serious work, and I, I struggled with it, and it's a great piece. It's really it's one of the best pieces I've done. I like it.
0: Uh, William, I, I, we'll put some links into that. I'd love to put some links in the show notes to that, uh, the Forbes mm-hmm. one, for, the Fortune, the article you did recently on the um, greater global consciousness and environmental and business, and um, oh. we'll put some links to that too. That'll be great.
1: That'd William, be great.
0: How, how can people get hold of your book, uh, reach out if they have questions? connect
1: well um the book is available on amazon uh, beyond knowledge uh, technology is driving an age of consciousness and you could go to uh, the posting on my site beyondknowledge.org and find a, a nice synopsis that will tell you about the whole everything you want to know about the book or you could just go to my site billhalel.com uh, i do a newsletter uh that's it's a remarkable newsletter i i, I think uh, it's not really a newsletter, it's a research uh, forum. I use it, I use the the 10,000 readers I have as participants in action research where we do studies uh, on all of these tough issues. We pool the knowledge of the readers. And so every issue is a little study and we produce present the results, everybody participates in it. So collectively the readers all know what's going on, they all see what's happening. And the results are their results. They're not my results. It's their results. So I encourage you to take the newsletter. You can find it at uh, my site, BillHallal.com. That's h a l a l. -L. And
0: Bill, I'll be getting onto that straight away after we finish recording. That sounds amazing, especially. It's such a topic of passion for myself too. And I've so enjoyed the conversation. Mate, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your knowledge, doing everything you do and will do and helping us create a better future. Really appreciate it, Bill.
1: Thank you, Brad, it's been great. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: What a great episode. Remember, you can go to Bill's website, BillHallal.com to get hold of articles he has written, gain more information on his book and connect to his community through the newsletter. This is truly an episode that will help organizations, society and our planet into the future. Please share this episode with others like and subscribe to share through our connected global network and help others gain insights on how to create a better future there were two key takeaways for me from this episode there were two key takeaways for me from this episode one the system for global consciousness is there it is about thinking and governance now and secondly servant leadership inside and outside the organization first key takeaway for me was a conversation about the system for global consciousness being in place now. I really gained the understanding from Bill that it is our way of thinking and global governance that counts now. Currently there are examples like Bill and I discussed of our subconscious consciousness and emotions being divided. You know, our thoughts and emotions driving us to look for conscious data to support that and leading to divided thought on Key topics and sometimes extreme outcomes. On a key topic like climate change, respect for wildlife and respect for people around the world as a whole, it would be amazing for us to see us unite our consciousness. Imagine a world where on these topics we were united, working together as a global entity to improve for the future. It's all there, it's at our fingertips. It would be amazing to see it play out. The second key takeaway or insight from Bill was a discussion on servant leadership being greater than within your organization. Servant leadership being about your customers and serving your people, but also serving society and the planet. Wow, that's a powerful insight. You know, a thought like that can rapidly shift our thinking and will unite and help us create that global consciousness we're talking about rapidly. What an amazing episode. I gained so much from the conversation and I hope you did also. Thank you, Bill, for everything you have done and continue to do to help us create a better future. Bye for now.